Good morning. My name is Tobias, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Grace Church. And uh, I have the privilege to stand before you this morning to talk about Jesus. And Jesus is the reason why so many of us are here. He is definitely the reason why I am here. I would not be here today if I had not encountered the love of the Father through Jesus Christ. So I'm happy to be able to stand before you this morning and to talk to you about this Jesus who has transformed the lives of so many people around the world. And I know for some of you, you might be here because you know, Jesus is a curious person. You hear a lot about him. You read a lot maybe about him and um, you're still discovering, trying to figure out where this Jesus fit into your life. Well, I, I pray that after our talk this morning, that you would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that you too would discover the joy and the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for just this time to gather, to be in your presence once again. Father, meet us here. I'm reminded of the devotional that Derek gave this morning, that Christ is in the room. Wherever the people of God gather, there you are in the midst of us. So save, heal, deliver. Speak to our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as many of you know, over the past few weeks, we've been We've been telling the story of God and through, we've been telling the story through various acts found in the scriptures. And so in Acts 1, we looked at the creation narrative. And in the second act, we talked about the fall of creation. And last week, we looked at the third act, which was God's purpose to save humanity through Israel. So today we're going to be looking at this fourth act. And this fourth act is essentially God's final rescue plan for humanity. Because as we know from the third act, God chose Israel to be his vehicle by which he would bless the world. By which he would bless the nations. But as we also saw that Israel failed and its responsibilities and its covenant relationship with God. And we see that they were not faithful stewards of the revelation, the salvation that God has given them. So she persisted in her rebellion and she renegated or reneged, not renegated. She did become a renegade throughout its history. Uh, but she reneged on her covenant to Yahweh, which in turn led to her throughout her history being ruled by a succession of wicked kings. And so by the time we get to the last book in the Bible, the book of Malachi, we see that once again, the nation of Israel is under the ruling tyranny of the Persian Empire. 
And if you read the book of Malachi, one of the things you immediately began to notice is that the nation of Israel is in a place now where they are questioning the love of God. They're questioning the love of God. Here God tells the prophet Malachi to tell the nation of Israel, I have loved you. I have loved you. In which the nation of Israel replied, how have you loved me? Or how have you loved us? You see, the people were at a point in a place where they were focusing more on their circumstances. They were focusing more on the fact that they were not in a place that their once glorious past had, 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 had brought memories of. They were not in a place where, 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 where the glory of God, where the glory of Israel was again like the envy of the nations. They were in political captivity. And so they were focusing on their circumstances. And when the prophet Malachi said, I, God told me, tells me to tell you that I have loved you, their response is, how have you loved us? You see, the fact that they, that, they, that they would even respond that way really shows that their situation had brought them to a place where they cannot believe that maybe they're backsliding or maybe their sin had something to do with where they were. And so they refused to believe that God loved them because of where they were. And so the Old Testament tends to end, we see the Old Testament ending with this failure of the nation of Israel to keep its covenant relationship with God. And so you would think that the final word of the Old Testament is one of judgment. There goes the story of humanity. It kind of leaves you feeling like, well, what's the hope? What is the purpose? But if you fast forward 400 years, we see that the story is not over. In fact, what I want you to do is look at the person next to you. This is what we used to do in my church growing up. Look at the person next to you and say, your story is not over. And then, and then tell them, and then tell them, Jesus is everything. Because it's true. This is true. Jesus is everything. Jesus marks the beginning of something new. And this brings us to our text this morning in which Mark, this is how he essentially starts out his gospel. He starts out his gospel with these words. In the beginning of the good news. Jesus Christ. You see, every, every good story has a beginning. And this phrase is meant to echo the words found in Genesis, one where we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God is doing something new here, and he's telling this story. He's working a new work, and he's doing it in and through the person of Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus not only represents a new beginning to the nation of Israel, but he represents a new beginning for humanity, for the rest of the world. You see, God is starting his salvation project, and he's starting it in Christ. And that's, that's why Mark says that this new beginning is a good one. Because what we see is the Father unveiling his redemptive plan to not only save his covenant people, Israel, and to draw them back to himself, but to also bring others into this redemptive narrative. But his audience is going to need some convincing because by this time, so many self-proclaimed prophets and messiahs have come to the scene They have come and gone. And so what Mark does is that he presents Jesus to his audience as the Messiah who has come to fulfill the scriptures. And so he quotes these words from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness saying, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. So the very opening of Mark's gospel identifies the story of Jesus with Israel's story. Between the book of Malachi and when the gospel was written, you have 400 years again of failed messianic expectations and deferred hopes. But this quote from Isaiah is meant to awaken, to awaken the hope of God's people with the announcement that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, has come to bring his kingdom to the earth. Now, this prophecy in Isaiah also talks about a forerunner, a messenger who will be sent ahead. And what's interesting is that the the, the book of Malachi also ends with, with, with the foreshadowing of a messenger or a forerunner who will precede the Messiah. And Mark identifies this person as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, I mean, he's a really interesting character. I mean, here's a brother who walks around with camel hair. I mean, I mean it wasn't part of the job description, you know, we don't read that as part of the, 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 the sort of prophetic pr- fulfillment. And it's like, man, what was, what was his deal? What, what, why was he, why did he feel the need to eat honey and to dress in, 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 in camel's hair? I mean, it could be anyone's guess. But most scholars believe that he, 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 he lived in a community in the desert amongst a people group called the Essenes. And maybe that's how they rode. Maybe that's how they dressed, right? It's like me going to London for the first time with my baggy pants and then realizing that everyone is wearing skinny jeans. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is how they roll, so I might as well wear skinny jeans as well, you know. And so maybe that's just how the community thrived. That's how they dressed. I don't, we don't know. But the significance of John's role cannot be overlooked. So here we see John is in the wilderness. Now notice both the continuity and the symbolism within Israel's story that we start to pick up here. John is in the wilderness where he is wandering. And if you've been reading through the book of Numbers, you realize and you already know 
that the wilderness is the place where the nation of Israel begins their wandering. But the wilderness is also the place where Israel meets God. It was a place of new beginning. It was a place where God set them on a new path when he emancipated them from Egyptian captivity. You see, the wilderness was the place where he gave them a hope and a future. So here we are, back in the wilderness, where, the is, where, where, where Israel's story first began. And so we see John baptizing in a river called the Jordan in verse 9. And he's preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness. Now, the Jordan River is also the place where Israel crosses over into the promised land. It's where they are to become God's light to the nation. And so the Jordan River also signals a new missional beginning for the nation of Israel. And so what we see here is John's baptism was symbolically rich with this vivid calling for the nation of Israel to cross back over the Jordan again, to step into a new beginning, to once again step into their role as God's agents of salvation and hope to the nations around them. So as Mark is telling his story, the readers will understand the historical significance of what John is doing and where he is baptizing. So here is John baptizing in the wilderness and the Jordan, calling people back to God, and in comes Jesus. Now this is significant. And you ask, like, why is this significant? Well, because John is in the wilderness and he's baptizing people for sin, for their sin, and, and for repentance. And he's calling them back to, to repentance and to receive forgiveness. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus was without sin. Peter says that he was the perfect spotless lamb of God. So why is it that Jesus finds himself going into the wilderness to be baptized by John? Well, it's because he wasn't there to receive baptism for the forgiveness of sins, but to identify himself with the nation of Israel. You see, in order for Christ to fulfill God's purpose as a conduit through which the entire world would be blessed, in order for him to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, he had, taken on, he had to take on himself Israel's mission. He had to take on himself their role. So the baptism of Jesus not only symbolically represents a faithful and obedient Israel, but it also identifies Jesus with the rest of humanity. And it also reveals God's purpose to partner with humanity in bringing hope, the hope of the gospel, to the rest of the world. But there is more to Mark's desire to tell his audience about this Jesus. And so in verses 10 through 11, we read that after John baptized Jesus, that the heavens were torn open. 
Again, to his readers, this fulfills another messianic prophecy. And this one is found in Isaiah chapter 64, when it says, Oh, that the heavens would rend and come down. What Isaiah is praying is that the barrier between heaven and earth would be torn open. A barrier that had existed because of the people's sin and the people's unfaithfulness to God. So essentially what Mark is saying is that at the baptism, when the voice of God spoke from heaven and said that this is my beloved son, He's saying that this is what is happening. The heavens are opening. And the kingdom of God is coming to earth. And what has been opened cannot be closed. What has been opened cannot be closed. Listen, the beautiful thing about the Christian life, it's not that we simply have been saved from our sin. It's not so much that we have been given eternal life. These are good things. But the beautiful thing about the Christian life is that we have access into the holies of holies. We have access to the presence of Almighty God. And to know that we can be saved from our sin is a great thing. But to enter into the divine presence of God, to enjoy sweet fellowship with him, it is a restoration of the joy that Adam had when he walked with God in the cool of the garden. This is the purpose in which Christ came to bring man back to God to restore the joy of the garden to be able to walk with God in the cool of the day to be seated with him in heavenly places and to know that we can enter confidently into the throne room of grace with boldness and with confidence knowing that God is our father See, what's interesting here is that right after this beautiful image of heaven and earth kissing each other, we read in verse 12 that at once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I found this to be really interesting. I'm like, here it is, here he is, the hope of the nations, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and right after this divine revelation of who Christ is, the Spirit sends him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why would you send the hope of the nations into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Isn't that how we got here in the first place? It's because we, 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 we fought the first temptation and we failed. But this is significant. And he, the writer of Mark, puts this in here for a reason. Because where else do you remember reading this in the scripture? It is in the garden. It's the temptation story all over again. 
except we do not see Jesus in the garden. We see Jesus walking into a wilderness. See, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. But here we see Jesus is alone. He's by himself. He's without food and he's with wild animals. It says that Jesus is entering into a world not as God created it, but as Adam left it. And he's going in there, this lonely place, this desolate place, this sinful and disintegrated place to be tempted by the powers of darkness. Now, Mark doesn't give us much detail as to what happens in the wilderness as the other gospel writer does. But what we do read in the following verses is that Jesus leaves the wilderness proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He leaves the wilderness proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, which leaves the reader wondering, well, what happened? Well, it's clear that Jesus went into the wilderness to fight the devil, and he merges victorious. He doesn't emerge with a guilty conscience. He doesn't emerge feeling shameful, like, oh, messed up, I failed. Man, am I worthy to even proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ or the good news of the kingdom? No, he emerges victoriously. He overcomes the power of darkness so with this, we see, and I mean, if you understand anything about what took place in the Roman world when a king went into battle and he fought his enemies, and when he came out victorious, he, 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 he would go about through cities and towns proclaiming the Evangelion, which is the good news that he had won the battle that he was victorious. And so that's what we see Jesus doing. He leaves the wilderness and he goes straight into Galilee to tell them that the kingdom of God had come. Because Mark is telling his audience that this Jesus, this second Adam, had fought the devil. He had went into the, in, into the wilderness to, to, to fight temptation. And he overcame and he became victorious. And with that victory, he inaugurated the rule and the reign of God. And so the gospel represents the breaking in of God's final act of salvation. This is God's final act of, of deliverance and peace and freedom to all God's people. This announcement of the kingdom of God is the song of Moses sung all over again. It is a song that declares that the strong man has been bound and that Pharaoh and his army has been thrown into the Red Sea. It is a song that declares the strength of the Lord and his power to save and to deliver his people. Listen. We can't fully understand 
Jesus until we know the Old Testament. Until we understand the Old Testament, until we understand that Jesus has come to bring God's rule and his reign to the earth. So what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God has come. And that whenever the kingdom of God breaks in through history, through Israel's history, we see God delivering his people. We see him setting them free from their enemies. So what does that look like for us? What does the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, what does Jesus' triumph over the enemy represent? What does that mean for us? Look at Mark 3.21. We see that right after Jesus emerges victoriously from the desert, he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach the people about the good news of the kingdom. And as he's teaching, what happens? A demon manifests itself. And it asks Jesus, have you come to destroy us? And what does Jesus say? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus has come to crush his enemies. He has come to destroy the works of Satan. Listen to what Paul or what John says in his gospel. He says that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And Paul in Colossians 1.13 says, He, Christ, he delivered us from the domain of the darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the forgiveness of sins. The inauguration of the kingdom of God means deliverance for his people from the powers of darkness, from the oppressive might of the enemy. That's what Jesus' victory means for us. It means we overcome the enemy. We overcome the works of Satan. We overcome the powers of darkness. Missiologist Leslie Newbigin says that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, not to submit to them. His whole ministry is portrayed in the gospel as a mighty onslaught of the works of the devil. Whether these took the form of sickness and demon possession among the people or of hypocrisy, cruelty, hard-heartedness among the people and the rulers, his whole ministry is interpreted as the breaking in of the reign of God in the life of the world to release those whom Satan has bound. This is why we cannot allow and confuse the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with any other message. See, there are many gospels out there in which the Christus victor is not the preeminent focus of the gospel. The Christus victor, which is a Latin word declaring the victory of Christ. Listen, all that is wrong in this world, all that we see, the brokenness, the hatred, the racism, the inequality, the injustice, 
violence. All that is wrong with this world is a consequence of man's broken relationship with the Father and of Satan blinding the hearts of men to their need for God. To their need for God. And Christ came to undo everything that Adam and Satan had worked to accomplish in human history up to this point. You see, the story of the gospel is meant to be read like the new Exodus story. Jesus comes in and he destroys Pharaoh, the one who has oppressed all of humanity. When Jesus comes in to heal the blind, the lame, the leper, what we see is a foreshadowing of a completely renewed and restored cosmos, one in which sin, sickness, death, injustice, and Satan has all been cast out. Remember the words of Mark. Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. This is just the beginning. A beginning that we get to participate in now. See, what Christ is offering many of us here today is a new beginning. Listen, you might have made mistakes. So have I. You read the story of Paul. Paul was a man who persecuted and killed Christians. He hated them. But Paul is a man who could stand before us and say that even though he made plenty of mistakes, even some that he felt were the most grievous against God, he was still found worthy of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. You may have been badly wounded by people. You may have even hurt people. But Jesus is a healer. There are so many testimonies and stories of people whose lives have been healed both physically, spiritually, and emotionally by the touch of Christ, by the touch of God. Listen. You are not beyond redemption. Your soul, no matter what you've done and no matter what you've been through, Jesus can heal you. Jesus can save you. Jesus can restore you. Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can give you a new beginning. This is what Christ offers us today. It's in Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples. He watched the ministry of Christ, walked closely with him, saw the miracles that he did. He listened to his teachings. And he watched his relationship with the Father. And there's this, there's this story that we read in the Gospels in which Jesus takes his disciples to the side and he he tells them, who do people say that I am? And as everyone is debating about who Jesus is, who the Christ is, 
Peter stands up and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this, this declaration that Peter offers is the only one that Christ affirms of himself. He's like, everyone else has this opinion and his view of who I am. But Peter, you got it right. I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God. But then he goes on and he tells Peter something very interesting. And he says, but don't tell anyone. Why? Why, 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 Lord, if you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and you are the one who Israel has been waiting for, and everyone is debating about who the Messiah is, and you say that this revelation of who you are is true, why can't I share this with anyone? Well, it's because his work was not finished. Because what Peter didn't understand was that the Messiah, he had to suffer and he had to die in order to fulfill the final act of salvation. I remember as a, as a new believer, when I first gave my life to Christ, I used to ask myself the question, why did Jesus have to suffer and to die. I mean, there, there, there could have been an easier way for God to re redeem us and to restore us. But what I was missing was the story that God was telling. We have to remember that this principle, that this idea of the innocent dying for the guilty was first established in the garden. When God kills an animal and uses the skin to clothe Adam and Eve's shame. And we also see this in the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And when it talks about the atoning sacrifices, it says, For the life of the blood is in the flesh. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for sin. And Jesus also says of himself in Matthew that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus had to suffer and die because it fulfilled the Mosaic law of atonement. John describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus' death was part of the payment required for our sin. And as Peter later remarked in his epistle, that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or without defect. See, what Jesus' suffering on the cross showed was the devastating nature of sin. It revealed the wrath of God. But it also revealed the cruelty of man and the hatred of Satan. 
and his desire to continue to hold us in repression and and, 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 and oppression. At the cross, Satan probably thought that he was vindicated from the wilderness. He was like, I got him. You might have gotten me in the wilderness, but I'm watching you die. Death is inevitable for you now at this point. But what he had no idea was that on the third day, Jesus Christ was going to rise again from the dead to become the savior of the world. Again, Christus Victor, Christ the victorious. Again, we see Christ had to suffer he had to suffer and also to fulfill the prophecy of the suffering Israel in Isaiah 53. But what we also read in the scriptures that God was not going to allow his holy one, his holy anointed one, to see decay. He wasn't going to leave him in the grave because that was not the end of the story. So upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a way has been made for us to return to the Father as ransomed son and daughters. Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing else to be done. There is nothing else. Everything that the law required was fulfilled in him. He fulfilled the perfect law of God. And he became the righteousness of God. And he became our way of salvation. You see, the cup of suffering was not taken from Christ, but he drank it for you and he drank it for me. There is no other way according to God's mysterious plan for him to redeem all of those who were lost. Jesus had to become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And that's why it's so important for us to remember that Jesus, he's more than just a great moral teacher. Jesus is more than just some purveyor of political power, some, some template for how society is ought to be and ought to be governed. Jesus, he is the suffering son of God who revealed the reign of God from his triumph over sin and death. I know many of you might be saying to yourself, well, what do I do with this information? What do I do with, with what you just shared? And the Bible is clear. The calling is to repent and to believe the good news, Jesus Christ. Now, this word repentance, it gets a bad rap. It seems archaic. It seems like outdated. But essentially what repentance is, is acknowledging that our ways are wrong. And the ways that we have been trying to live our lives is wrong. 
And it is a call to turn our hearts back to God. And it is saying that God's ways are right. Repentance is also telling us that on the other side of our confession is surrender. We will find God. We will find his mercy. We will find his love. We don't have to work for our salvation. We just have to believe. We just have to believe and to repent and to turn our eyes to Jesus and to surrender to him. This is the good news. And this good news is bearing fruit all over the world. The gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bringing healing, forgiveness, freedom to people all around this globe. And I pray that all of you would come to know the joy and the peace that comes from being in covenant relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Listen, if what the gospel promises is true, if all that we read about the life of Jesus, even his resurrection and ascension, if all of this is true, then this is good news. This is good news. And the question then becomes, well, what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose if we give up our lives? Then what Jesus promises is a new life. We have nothing to lose. See, God will not leave us empty and void. If we say, yes, Lord, I, I surrender to you all of my dreams, all of my ambitions, and I admit to you that the ways that I have been living my life is wrong, and I take all that I've accumulated over the years and I lay it at the altar, God is not going to leave that empty space empty, but he's going to fill it with new dreams with new passions, with new hope, and with a new beginning. All we have to do is open our eyes to the wonders of the cross. Listen. There's, there's many of you in here today who are afraid to hope and to believe that this is really good news. And listen, you've been coming to church for a long time, and Jesus has always existed on the peripheries of your life. It's like you know that there is something there. You know that there is something there. And I believe what the Spirit of God is calling many of you in here today to do is to trust, to trust, let go, let go of the hurt, let go of the pain, let go of the struggle. Listen, the struggle is real. It's real. 
let go of your fear. Christ took all of that upon himself. Listen, I would not be here today if I had not experienced the new life that Christ offers. I would not be here today. Listen, there were so many times throughout my life where people tried to tell me about Jesus. And I didn't want to believe it. I was so busy living my life believing that religion was for, was for, 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 for people who were just in desperate need. They had no other hope or no other solutions to life. They, they didn't have the intellect or the drive to go after life and to make, make of themselves something. I didn't need that. But then I realized I did. And then I realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not some crutch that I just needed to lean on. It was hope. It was freedom. It was freedom that I needed from the life that I was living in and the pain that I was weeping upon myself because of the choices that I was making. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to forgive. Listen, what God offers is real. It's real. Listen, the heavens have been torn open. The kingdom of God has come to earth, and it is now with man so that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That gift of salvation, that gift of hope, healing, freedom, forgiveness, joy, love, it's there. The Spirit of God is saying, trust me. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to repent and to turn from your way and trust that the life that I offer is better than anything that the world could offer you? This is the invitation today. Because at the end of the day, you're either going to repent And something deep inside of you is going to say, yes, yes, Jesus is everything. Or you're going to hear this message and you're going to say, not right now. But my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be open and that just as Myself and so many people in here and so many believers around the world have been able to see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you too would experience that same freedom and say, yes, Jesus is everything. Jesus, be my everything. Let's pray. Dear God, give us faith to believe that the cross of Jesus Christ represents a new beginning in our lives. Give us faith to believe that the answer to our brokenness and our hostility towards you is found in the reconciling work of Jesus. 
Open our eyes, Father, to see the wonders of the cross, to see the glory and the love in the face of Jesus Christ. Bring healing in this room today. Heal every emotional wound. Heal every physical wound. Heal every emotional scar. Every lie, God, that has been spoken over your people. Every lie. I come against it now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no more power. In the name of Jesus Christ, the risen son of God. Every lie that has been spoken over you. That you're nobody. That you're nothing. That you'll never be. You're not good enough. I come against that lie Right now, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, you're everything. You are everything. Be our everything, God. We pray these things.